It's almost universal. Whether it's two wheels, four wheels, 18 wheels, no wheels, so many of us have a special memory involving a vehicle or a story about a car we've loved. Even if you can't tell a crankshaft from a driveshaft, I want to hear the story of the vehicle that moved you. I'm Blake Jackson, and this is Autobiography. Well, the next guest on the Autobiography podcast, Kim Burley. He's drummer, vocalist, songwriter for the Stampeders and for the Kim Burley Group, the man behind songs you know by heart and love. And through the pandemic, Kim was keeping our spirits up, posting videos and, and playing tunes and telling tales. Found out he's an amazing storyteller, so I, I wanted him on the podcast. Kim Burley, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, Kim, tell us about the vehicle that moved you. <laughs> All right. So this was a very, very significant car in uh, not just my life, but in the life of the Stampeders and the um, <clears throat> transition of the band from kind of a local uh, Calgary band uh, to, uh, to a band that, um, you know, was going to have some records and, and uh, become well-known. Uh, and we knew, we knew, we had a manager, um, by the name of Mel Shaw in Calgary and the band, when we were in Calgary, I was, this was 1966. I'm not yet 18 years old. Hmm. Ronnie and Rich are 18, almost 19. And then there were three other guys that were in their mid twenties in the band, um, a manager, his wife and his two young children, you know, maybe a year and a half and three or something. And all of these people had to get from Calgary to Toronto where we were planning to start our new life. So, we went looking for a vehicle, and Mel found a 1957 Cadillac limousine. Going to pause for a sec and tell you about the 1957 Cadillac Fleetwood limo, officially the Cadillac Fleetwood Series 7.5 limo. Only 1,010 built, the limo had a base price of $7,348, or $109,485 in today's dollars. Powered by a 365-cubic-inch, dual-four-barrel, 300-horsepower engine, the Fleetwood Limo boasted the then-space-age options like power windows, power mirrors, power steering, polarized sun visors, electric antenna, mirror and matching leather notebook, lambskin carpeting, automatic power memory seats, atomizer with Lanvin perfume, signal-seeking twin-speaker radio, and the Autotronic Eye, or automatic headlight dimmer and they told us that it was had been owned by imperial oil but the interior was deep purple so <laughs> you know <laughs> we knew this <laughs> but we didn't care here you know it was a cadillac it was air conditioned and we thought oh cool it's got these big stud winter tires on it <laughs> and this is in june <clears throat> so 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 you know we we uh, get this car just a week or 10 days before we were planning to leave Calgary. Mm -hmm. And um, so the, 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 the itinerary went like this. And, and uh, we, what we had gotten was we had an agent had come West that had uh, uh, decided to book the band for the summertime in Ontario. So we were going to Toronto to start, and then we would uh, uh, play all these other Ontario gigs for the summer and then supposedly go home. But we had no intention of ever going back, at least not, as we could see, Calgary was a roll up the street at 6 p.m. on a Friday evening back in the 60s. And uh, and there was no 
there were no professional musicians. I didn't know anybody who was that. So here we are. We're trying to uh, make it to Toronto and start a whole new life there. That's why the manager's wife and kids and everybody were along. And um, so we got this car and it was, you know, it was a black, dark purple interior. I had the, uh, the dividing uh, glass window that went up and isolated the driver's seat. And uh, and had these air conditioning vents in the ceiling, and we thought, oh, this is this is luxury. We're going to have air conditioning because none of us had ever had a car with such a luxury. Yeah. And uh, well, none of us <laughs> really had ever had a car except my older brother. Uh, so anyway, we uh, we head out from Calgary. We get a U-Haul trailer. We put everything we can in the trailer, the band equipment, all our personal belongings, and uh, so basically. Eight adults and two little children are going to travel to Ontario in this uh, 1957 Cadillac limousine. And, um, uh, and our first, the, the, the trip was to be like this. We were to go to Lethbridge. We were going to play, which is an hour and a half from Calgary. Yeah. And we were going to play a night there, uh, earn some gas money, because we had no money. Uh, earn some gas money. And then we were going to go to Saskatoon, where we had uh, uh, another couple of gigs you know, pick up a bit more dough, and then we were going to make it all the way. To, uh, we had a gig in Saskatoon on on uh, Friday night, and we were going, or maybe it was Saturday night, Friday and Saturday night, and we were going to then get in the car and drive to North Bay, Ontario, where we had a a, a gig in a in a, in a bar starting Monday night. So uh, on the the trip to Lethbridge is all right. You know, the car is, is great. We think it's wonderful. It's smelling a little exhaust in the back seat, but we think, what the hell? And um, and we get uh, we do the gig. We get gas money. And then the next day, now this is at the end of June. It's summer. It's hot. And so we're heading up to, uh, you know, the six or seven hour drive from Lethbridge to Saskatoon. And we realize that the car is just filling up with exhaust fumes. Yeah. We don't know what's happening. And so the manager puts the glass up so him and his wife and family don't suffocate. And we're making this drive with our heads hanging out the window and ferocious headaches. Yeah. And, uh, and and so we, we get to Saskatoon and we uh, we tear the back seat out of the car. And, of course, the wheel wells rusted right out. Like there's a two-inch gap about 18 inches long in each wheel well. Yeah. And there's a hole in the muffler. So <laughs> we're a hole in the tailpipe. So this gas is coming, uh, uh, exhaust is coming out of this hole, and and we're and we're and we got winter stud tires on <laughs> in June, and these things are acting like a, like a, just a windmill, and they're just forcing all this exhaust right up into the back seat, where we're we were dying from this. We don't know what to do. We have you know we can't take it in. We can't have it fixed. We got a couple of days uh, of. Uh, where we where we have to play and then and then head out. So we we got dug in our suitcases, got rags, old T-shirts, old socks, whatever we could find. And we stuffed it in because it's all rusted and jagged. We stuffed it into the uh, the wheel wells and, um, you know, did the gig, loaded up the car. Um, all of our, you know, we, we had band outfits. We had we had tie dyed denim jeans, uh, uh, uh light colored denim jeans like purple and pink and yellow and colors like this to make outfits for the band and we had black shirts and we hung up all these black shirts put them in a garbage bag and on them in the trailer in the u-haul and at one in the morning we leave saskatoon heading for uh north bay ontario uh you know we, the exhaust was a little better the, the patch up helped but i mean we, we were still 
we're losing brain cells by the millions as we go along here. Yeah. The manager drives the whole way, and uh, and, and we do it. Um, we basically do it nonstop. We stop to try and we stop to eat and you know use the can. Yeah. And other than that, we motored uh, uh, from uh, Saskatoon to North Bay, Ontario. Now we're we're getting close, and uh, Monday is we're driving through the day on Monday, and we're we're in Ontario. Uh, by like Saturday night, but we have no concept of how big Ontario is because <laughs> we'd been, you know, we cruised through Saskatchewan, Manitoba, nothing to it. We thought we'd be there in no time. Yeah. Well, Ontario is a whole other deal. And um, so we chugged along on this thing. Uh, every, nobody's slept. We haven't slept for a couple of days. It's Monday. We're driving in Ontario uh, past Sudbury on the way to North Bay. Uh, we're going to arrive right about nine o'clock. We figure so we, you know, the uh, call the club owner, tell him we're coming. You yeah. know, don't don't get anybody else in there, and uh, and uh, so right about oh I don't know, an hour, forty five minutes away from North Bay, uh, this gigantic thunderstorm blows up, an Ontario th- summer thunderstorm, and we had we weren't used to one, ready for Ontario with the humidity and everything. So this thunderstorm is blowing up the rain is pouring down and we're the back seat starts to fill up with water oh no because of course the you know the junk we put in the wheel wells is not holding the water out and these these winter tires are are windmilling water in there (laughs) (laughs) and literally we we got old coffee cups whatever we had and those of us in the back seat Literally, we're bailing out the car as we drove for our gig <laughs> in North Bay. <laughs> and, you know, we got there. Um, we never got together enough money to get those wheel wells fixed. But we went and got some, uh, uh, you know, like roofing roofing goo and stuff like that. Oh. And, um, and <laughs> did our best yeah. to, 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 to stop the flood. Um, and and uh, But... We didn't get a new muffler. We didn't get the tailpipe fixed. We, nothing. We never could get rid of those tires. Although, uh, uh, you know, it's amazing that they didn't just fall apart in the, with the with the studs and everything in the Ontario summer heat. But um, that car got us from Calgary to uh, North Bay, and then we went back to Sault Ste. Marie for another week, and then we finally came down the pike to Toronto on a hot summer night. And uh, you know, we're all these people from the West where there's nothing but space. Yeah. And, uh, and we got into cottage country on highway 400 coming down, uh, on a Sunday night, we were heading into Toronto and, um, and we, you know, it, when it's your first major traffic jam, like it's wonderful. You go, wow, <laughs> I'm in the big city. We're stopped. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, people would get out of their cars and walk along or you walk along beside your car. If you wanted some exercise, <laughs> it took hours to hit the city, but then the, uh, the highway opened up into a big mega lane thing like we'd never seen. And, and, and we were in Toronto where, you know, uh, that's what we started our career at that point. And um, that car served us well until about the next February. And I mean, we were tripping, we got an agent in Ottawa. So we're going from Ottawa to Toronto and, you know, uh, uh, various towns in Southern Ontario, a few gigs in the city. And um, uh, it, it got us to, one last trip to Ottawa, I think, in the it was winter. I think it was probably in February, mm-hmm. and and we didn't have a hotel, and we didn't have a uh, we had a gig that didn't have accommodation. So um, we 
we went phoned up hotels and nobody would have us and we uh so we phoned up oh i can't remember the uh, uh an old an old a grand old hotel but at the time even it was getting pretty seedy in ottawa but it had a it had a nice drive up you know you uh, you you'd drive the car and there would be a uh concierge guy there to take it to park it or whatever so here we are driving this old cadillac with a great big u-haul trailer behind it mm-hmm. and uh, and we pull in to this place and they refuse us they say no we have no rooms so we go back out to get in the car and we notice that the front left tire not the tire the entire wheel had broken off and it was laying there sideways on the ground oh, no. <laughs> So we went back in the hotel and said, well, we can't leave. So find us some rooms. You know? uh, so they did. They found us. They found us some rooms. And and that was basically it was towed away. And um, I think we took the train back to Toronto and went looking for a for another car. But that was uh, that was we called it old smoker because we never did get it. Uh, get it fixed. And it always uh, the, 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 the the back of the car was always um, exhausty. And uh, uh, and so it's the most memorable car uh, of my life, and uh, and it, it made a huge difference because yeah. by what other vehicle could we possibly have gotten that would take that many people? I mean, this thing there were six grown men in there. Well, I, I was small, two jump seats that faced backwards, and a big a big bench seat. And I always had a jump seat, being the smallest. So um, uh, and you know not comfortable for long trips at all. These little jump seats. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we we uh, we lived in that car. We drove back and forth all over Ontario in it. We sucked up uh, huge amounts of exhaust fumes, and uh, uh, you know, and we're and, and 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 none of us are completely senile as yet. So it's just amazing. <laughs> you sound happy and healthy, and uh, I, I think you're <laughs> lucky to be alive. I've been in vehicles like that. I've been in tractors like that, and it's yeah, tractors, yeah. <laughs> How did the air conditioning hold up? Because it, you think 1957, air conditioning was science fiction. That was a, luck, a luxury item. Yeah. Well, it did, but the problem was that, like everything else in the car, it was recycling the exhaust fumes. So, I mean, we ended up not using the air conditioning very much because it just made us feel worse. So, um, so yeah, all, all of those. Uh, so, our first great uh, Cadillac experience was... Um, <laughs> Well, it was great and terrible all at the same time. Yeah. I mean, uh, it got us where we needed to go. The glamorous we, life of the touring musician. Yeah, yeah. We drove away one night. We were, we were, uh, we didn't have the manager and his wife and kids. That by that point, the band was, you know. So there were six guys in this. There's much more room. I was still always in a jump seat. But, um, but uh, uh, we were driving back from somewhere. We used to finish in Ottawa at two o'clock in the morning on. Uh, Saturday and, uh, uh, and, and load up and get in the car and drive to Toronto. So we'd be in Toronto at 8.39 in the morning. And uh, so it was one of those late night long hauls. And uh, we stopped for gas, I don't know, an hour outside of Toronto. And, um, and the guy who was driving uh, didn't realize that the attendant had not taken the, uh, <laughs> the pump out of the car. And we drove away and we took the end of the pump with <laughs> <laughs> with us. and we didn't know we drove for miles and miles before the, what's that noise this <laughs> hose banging along the ground my god so yeah 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 um wonderful times to look back on uh but yeah that was uh that was the story of uh of that car and uh i'll remember it more than any other car ever 
That's awesome. That's fantastic. So um, once once things really started rolling for the band and, and uh, success was, was coming for you, was there an automobile that you picked up once uh, once there was more money? No, because we really liked the idea, you know, and we if we were going any distance, we liked to fly and just rent cars. Gotcha. And that's what we did. So we had a we had a, you know, circulating cars we used all kinds of vehicles that was before the minivan when the band got back together in the 90s it was facilitated by minivans um which were wonderful for touring bands you know we still do that to this day we the three of us show up at the nearest major airport to wherever we're going and um and we've rented a minivan we uh we carry a couple of guitars or you know our, our three four instruments with us and i take some drumsticks and uh and that's all we have, and, and uh, so minivans are perfect. Yeah, and the the mufflers are usually intact. Uh, usually, <laughs> yeah, we haven't haven't run into uh, any serious uh, uh, issues. We had a, we did rent a van though, and we we had a gig in Faro in the Yukon, which is about four hours or so out of Whitehorse, and um, and uh, it was in the summertime. You only go to the Yukon in summer if you have any sense. And um, and uh, uh, we did uh, discover this is it shows you to look at the tires, whatever. When you rent a van, we drove all the way back into uh, Whitehorse, and we had basically stopped, uh, you know, at a truck stop restaurant to get some breakfast. And um, we came back out, and the uh, uh, we had a flat tire. The tire was completely bald. There wasn't a single hint of tread on it, <laughs> and it was a rental. So. <laughs> When in Whitehorse, kick your tires. Yeah, good advice from a traveling musician for sure. Mm. Um, and and through all the years, I mean, you said 1966 was when you really hit the road with the Stampeders. Um, yeah, you must have seen a lot of miles and a lot of road and a lot of crazy things, especially uh, finishing gigs two, three, four in the morning. What's the craziest thing you've seen out on the road? Ah, oh, that's a hard one. There. I don't know, like like uh, uh, spooky things, like uh, 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 having driving down from uh, northern Quebec to Toronto and uh, leaving at night, and in the early morning, maybe six six o'clock in the morning, when the sun's just up and things are getting bright, and we're heading south, and and uh, on the other side of the road, there's a body face down in the oh. gravel. So we 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 wheel around and and and. Uh, you know, get out of the van, and it's a, it's a, an old man, and he's bleeding from the mouth, and he's face down in the gravel, but he's conscious. And uh, so we're we're just kind of helping him to his feet, and we're going to get him in the van and take him down the road to the nearest police station, sort of thing. Yeah. And we're just doing this, and we got him up on his feet, and all of a sudden, this dark blue car comes roaring down the road, slams on the brakes, pulls a Yui, pulls in behind the truck, and a a, a woman, a nurse in a nurse's outfit, all white, uh, uh, gets out of the gets out of the car, comes up. Albert, Albert, Albert! Oh God, he's done it again. Oh. He wandered away. He's always trying to get home. He takes him, gets him in the car, and drives away. <laughs> but he had he had walked like miles from this home that Jeez. he was in, and, and uh, heading home. These guys says something he does regularly. <laughs> Jeez, well, or did? Yeah. Well, good on you for stopping. Oh God, yeah, you can't. You know, I've I, we've also stopped for I've I've uh, passed a you know an overturned car in the ditch with the interior lights on. Yeah, and um, and nobody in it, but it was uh, it was eerie going up to that. Yeah. Uh, 
and and there have been like horrible uh, things, you know, yeah. uh, crashes that we've come up come upon as well, mm-hmm. uh, which which that's not fun for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. But uh, no, I, I you know, it, it's not glamorous being out there and traveling like crazy, but uh, I do. I do wish that uh, I'd seen more of the country like you. So that's that's pretty cool. Well, that yeah, truly, the travel is a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing. Um, good to uh, good to be able to fly to your major centers, though, and then get in a car because well, that wasn't always that way. I, you know, for various reasons, I've done the country back and forth a couple of times um, uh, on wheels, and uh, it is a very spacious nation. <laughs> Yeah. to say the least so so if you are going to hit the road these days and even take a trip down to the store what's uh, what's on the radio for you what's on the radio yeah well well my wife always has um uh serious uh, uh fm and she's always either listening to the 60s or the 70s yeah and and so sometimes i listen to them and um and I like to graze. Uh, you get the decades, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. And I, uh, I, I'm, I'm more partial when I'm in the car by myself just to poking through the different decades. Yeah. Because uh, not only for the music, um, but also for the amazing changes in the technology and the, um, and the sound of records, mm. right? Uh, it's, uh, it's every decade had its... Uh, had its sound or had its progress. The seventies, there was so much progress, technological progress that from the, you know, beginning to the end of the seventies, the sound of recorded music made a huge leap forward. And, um, uh, and the eighties was, uh, was all the new tech, you know? So you got kind of, mm-hmm. the, that was the first use of, of looping and all that kind of thing in recording. So that was that sound. Yeah. And the nineties kind of came back to the seventies and gave us, uh, really good 70s sound (laughs) and and so on so it's uh 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 yeah but as far as uh uh, i i got a really really wide range of music that i like to listen to um you know uh i I love good uh i love melodic jazz uh uh, you know the 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 really fast uh uh jazz is is a little much for me sometimes but i love uh um, listening to amazing musicians um, playing uh, the most complex music that we kind of have available to us these days, and then I like a country song, you know, and, and uh, it just uh, I, I, there's no kind of music that I um, that I don't like to listen to. Yeah, if it's good, it's good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and even if it's bad, it's sometimes fun. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes loud is okay too. Sure thing. You yeah. got it. Right on. Well, this is this is perfect, and and uh, I'm grateful for your time. Oh, it's been a, it's it's a pleasure. I've been listening to the Stampeders since well since I knew who they were. If you grew up in Canada, and you were anywhere near an AM radio, they're they're part of the soundtrack to your life. So Kim Burley, um, the voice behind Oh My Lady and minstrel gypsy and wild eyes and just a heck of a storyteller so glad he could make it and tell us about that disastrous 1957 cadillac limo (laughs) whenever i see a cadillac from now on with apologies i'm going to smell exhaust heck of a story thanks again and watch for them on tour if you've never seen the stampeders amazing band to see live 
amazing band in, in, in any case. Thank you very much. I'm Blake Jackson. This is the Autobiography Podcast. Uh, make sure and, and subscribe and share and tell a friend. And if you have a story about the vehicle that moved you, I would love to know. And it's time for our next story. All right, next guest on the Autobiography Podcast. Found this gentleman in Nevada, of all places, on, on Instagram, and I couldn't be happier about it. Uh, the handle is Dick's Diesel Garage, and the man behind it is Cord Higby, and he is a heavy equipment repairman. He describes what he does as, as fixing all things forgotten, uh, bringing old things back to life, the old things that built America. So, Cord Higby, thanks for being on the podcast Tell us about the vehicle that moved you. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I'm always I uh, I'm super glad to share. Um, one of the vehicles that that I've been working on previously that moves me the most is probably my 1934 uh, Diamond T. Going to pause for a sec and tell you about the 1934 Diamond T. Founded in Chicago in 1905 by a shoemaker named C.A. Tilt, starting with cars, they became known for their trucks. During World War II, Diamond T moved into making tank transports for the British when its trucks were extensively used to rescue stranded tanks in North Africa. After the war, they went back to civilian models, again featuring the sled dog hood ornament. Diamond T's run came to an end when they merged with REO Motor Company. REO Speedwagon, the company that made that one, to become the Diamond Rio Truck Company. Um, because during the war effort, a lot of things that were made before World War II, um, they got crushed and salvaged to support the war effort. And so something like this is not something you stumble across every day. Um, this one in particular is a three-man cab. Um, you actually had to pull up the seat cushion that you sit on to put fuel in it. Um, so if you can imagine that, there's not even a filler cap on the exterior of the cab. <laughs> I imagine it got a little stinky in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, just just things that about it that we just don't see today. For instance, the mercury fuel gauge. You know, and I I think a lot of us don't give the old timers the credit they deserve um this fuel gauge works off of specific gravity the mercury in the gauge is acted upon by a capillary tube this tube is still intact i kind of traced it out because i myself wasn't entirely sure how it worked traced it all out this tube goes down the firewall underneath the floorboard and to the tank Depending on how much fuel is in that tank, the gravity of the fuel itself acts upon the tube, you know, forcing the gas one way or another, and voila, the mercury in your gauge up in the dash moves up and down. And that, to me, that is incredible. What man sat down and figured out how big the tank was to say, all right, well, if it's going to be full, and, and you know, and somebody sat down and figured all that out. I mean, because we didn't, this is 1934, they didn't really have like an accurate fuel gauge. Most gauges you get out and you just look <laughs> inside of it. Oh, okay, this is how much gas we got. I mean, things like that just move me about these old vehicles. 
you know, and it's just this fascinating to me. Every one of them has a story, yeah. you know, and this one is especially special to me because when I was a little kid, um, I was really good friends with uh, this old man and his stepson. We played together a lot in this old yard, not too far from my house, and that's where this old truck was sitting. And from that day on, I thought, man, that, that is a really neat old truck. And I just remember playing in it, you know, you pretend like you're driving it and yeah. stuff. And um, I noticed this shiny little tag on the floor and it said Diamond T and there were some numbers. I'm like, wow, this looks really important. I should, I should put this right here under the seat so it doesn't get lost, you know. And, and uh, anyway, years later, I mean, we're talking 15 years, um, the old man died and and his kid is this his stepson, so good friends with him today. He said, "Hey, Cord, uh, I'm selling some of this old stuff that belonged to my dad." He said, uh, "Got to come take a look at some of it." And all right, so I get up there, and, and I said, "Man, would you um, would you sell me that old diamond tea? Like, I just I thought never thought he would go for it, you know." And he's like, "Well, yeah, absolutely." And so we made a deal on it. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I'm over there looking, and then it hit me. I'm like, "Man." I wonder if that tag is still under that seat. Lo, well, I reached right under there and I pulled it right out. It'd been sitting there waiting for me that whole time. Nice. <laughs> and then uh, it wasn't a week later. My wife, she come and helped me. We we aired up the tires and we ended up uh, pulling it home. And I just I've been working on it ever since. I I had to find the doors for it. They're infamous for having the doors missing because the the plates that supported the door hinge assembly would rot. They're made of wood, and so the doors would just fall off. And if they weren't literally tied on somewhere, they were just set somewhere and never it ended up being discarded more than like. But um, anyway, I've got some good friends in the car world now, and they um, just I, I reached out to all of them, and we, all of us, it took us three years, or a better part of three years, and we found two doors, the passenger and driver side. We found two of them, you know, and they were actually in pretty good shape. Actually, they matched the patina pretty well on it. But, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's probably one of my more fond vehicles that I've, I've been really had. I mean, I got a couple other ones, but that one's, that one's probably my favorite. And if you're looking for parts for, for a Diamond T, and I'm going to be honest, I haven't heard of Diamond T before. Uh, and, and the longer I do this podcast, the longer I'm learning about vehicles like the, the REO Speedwagon. Yes, uh, yes. So many vehicles that were innovative in their day, but just for whatever reason, they, they couldn't make it. If you do need parts for this Diamond T, is there a place you can look? Is anyone doing... doing reproduction parts or is it a scavenger hunt um there is a really good friend of mine down in texas he runs and operates what's called and he's on instagram it's called the diamond t rubber company he was one of the first guys that i really ran into that knew a lot about him in fact i gave him the numbers off my vehicle that's just his thing every time he runs into somebody who actually has one he'll write the VIN number down because he's always trying to figure out the date of origin or when the vehicle was born compared to however many are still left out there so um he was very helpful um but as far as like straight up going shopping see i needed a left hand fender 
nearly impossible to find. Now, the best place that I've found yet that has a selection of these kind of parts is in Australia. I'm not lying, in Australia. Why Australia, do you think? Well, you see, about the time the Great Depression was going on, um, a lot of these manufacturing companies, this is why you haven't heard of many of them, because they started to go out of business. Um, people weren't buying cars during the Great Depression. Nobody had any yeah. money. Nobody had anything. So these manufacturers are doing everything they could to sell vehicles anywhere. And they, they shipped so many. And Mack trucks, old Mack trucks, the B-model Macs, a ton of them went over there. Those people needed trucks that could handle that that down under, that country out there. I mean, thousands of miles and never see anybody. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually a lot of Diamond T's over there. There's a lot of B-model Mack trucks. There's a lot of a lot of those older like Packards, a lot of that stuff that made it over there that it didn't survive over here. Yeah, Packard, that's and, another uh, one. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an aside, do you know if they had to be um, uh, converted to a right-hand drive? So these trucks were made, they only made one cab. And if you look, you can see where it had the right-hand drive option. You can look real close and you can see where all they had to do is literally unbolt the steering gear and move it to the other side of the vehicle. The frame, the holder in the frame, and there's like a metal pop out that you could hit with it. It looks like you could just hit it with a hammer and poke the steering column through and go to town. Honestly, it was they they couldn't afford to build two different chassis. Yeah. It was one chassis. Okay, where's it going? All right, the steering wheel needs to be on this side of the truck. You know, that's it's amazing. You know, it's that's that kind of stuff just really fascinates me. I've always been fascinated by, as you mentioned before, the the, the mercury fuel gauge, which uh, they were dealing with slide rulers uh, back then, and, and yeah. just a lot of ingenuity. Um, any sort of any sort of way that they were able to to make things work without the technology we have. What other sort of innovations have you seen on vehicles? Any sort of vehicle that that echoes that. Let me let me give you some. Let me give you a foundation here. So everything that we run off of, and if it's a vehicle, it's on wheels that moves down the road. It takes AC power, and it converts it to DC. That's what the alternator mm-hmm. does, right? the diode trio all of our vehicles are negatively grounded okay so the electrons pass from positive to negative all right so that's why the positive cables always rust and corrode and everything that has it's on the positive side of the circuit is prone to getting oxidation and it gets especially if the weather is really bad Mm -hmm. right So anything before about 50, I'm going to say anything before about 1950, all of it was negatively, I'm sorry, it's it's confusing, positively grounded. And a lot of it was six volt. And we, I think it was a big step 
we needed to go 12-volt eventually. It needed to happen just for amperage reasons and things like that. Like their starters, they really sucked, but all the electrical systems were positively grounded. And because they did that, now the electrons were forced to go the other direction, and your electrical system lasted a long time. Nothing corroded because it was all on the other side of the circuit. That's that's one thing that I wish we'd have never gone away from. <clears throat> I don't know why they decided to do that. You know, I'm sure it had something to do with money. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's one thing that was very innovative because they, they knew that's why they did it. They knew that because the electrons go the other direction because you wired your vehicle this way, your, your wiring and everything is going to last longer because it doesn't get the corrosion. That's, that's, that's one thing that I can really probably really harp on as far as being innovative, something we've moved away from probably. You know, I'd never heard that before. And actually, while I have you on the phone, this might be handy. My truck has a generator instead of an alternator. And even for my own purposes, mm-hmm. what's yeah. the difference? Yeah. Okay, so a generator, it has um, it has what we call a field. Uh, it's called a field a field coil. So <clears throat> a generator, as long as it has, I don't know what I want to call it. So if a generator sits too long, you have to um, arc across the terminal, arc across the field coil, that's what it's called. You have to arc across the field coil to energize it. And it's got a some kind of a small capacitor in it. And it can discharge over time. The main difference between a generator and an alternator is that a generator, you can you can spin it um, forward or backwards, and you're you're gonna get voltage out of it no matter what. You don't have to meet a specific RPM or anything like that. You're going to get voltage. And it's straight voltage. It doesn't need to be converted. Whereas an alternator, they're taking AC and they're stepping it through a diode trio to DC. Generators is straight DC. Mm. Okay. And they worked really good and they lasted a long time. A really long time. Like, you can go pull a generator out of one of these old trucks, literally take a fan blade and a shaft or something and put it in a ditch and charge a battery. Like, even put an impeller up in the sky and let the wind blow on it and somehow, you know, rig it up so it turns it. You're going to get power. It's that simple. If you were to win the lottery or something like that, what would your dream vehicle be? Let's say it was late 30s. Yeah. The World War II hadn't started yet, and I had some money in my pocket. I would I would take a cab or transportation, whatever it was, right down to Ford, Lincoln, Mercury, and I would buy... A 1937 Lincoln Zephyr. Ooh. I would buy the two-door, the two-door, um, the two-door coupe is what I would buy with the V12 engine. 
They were a beautiful car. Hot Rod Lincoln. And it's for its day, it was it was the king of the road. It had a lot of amenities. Um, namely, I I believe that particular car had air conditioning, which was unheard of in that day and age. Unheard of air conditioning in a car. Space age. I mean, yeah. I mean, they it was a rich man car. I mean, no one. It, it'd be like me today going down to, like, say, Ferrari or one of these. That, that same scenario, it was just not in the realm of possibilities. These people that had these cars, they had lots of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think back in the day, the, the ticket price for one of those cars, fully loaded, as we would call it, um, I think they left the floor for four or $5,000. In the 30s, which was a lot of money. Yeah, when when some people were is, subsisting on relief for years. Yeah, you know, and, and back then, it was not uncommon for people to have vehicles that were over 15, 20 years yeah. old. I mean, in 37, people were still driving Model Ts mm-hmm. because that's all they could afford, yeah. and they could fix it. Well, we're out of time, but Cord, this is perfect. This is exactly why I started the podcast. Appreciate you having having me on your show. I feel like I just talked the whole time, but I think that's what you want. Absolutely, <laughs> it is. There's Cord Higby calling in from Arizona. Uh, his business, Dick's Diesel Garage, genius, and he's got a passion for those older vehicles. So thank you very much, Cord. And check out Dick's Diesel Garage on Instagram. Always lots to look at there. Thanks for telling us about the 1934 Diamond T, and of course, thanks to uh, Kim Burley. From the Stampeders, Alberta's own classic rock legends. Um, Watch for them on tour. I hope soon. I can't wait to see the Stampeders again. I'm Blake Jackson. Thank you for listening to the Autobiography Podcast. If you have a story to tell, by all means, let me know. In the meantime, like, share, tell a friend, tell, tell everybody about this. And hey, keep your wheels on the road and a tarp on your load.